You found the First Baptist Rockdale Midweek Podcast. Lean in and learn as we study God's Word together. Enjoy. Uh, A few years ago, uh, my wife uh, and my children were in Houston uh, area with my in-laws. I was not there. Uh, I don't know what I was doing. Um, But I was not on this trip down to my in-laws' house. Uh, and they went to go ice skating. And, and in Sugarland, there's an ice skating rink. The uh, old Houston Arrows did their training there, uh, which was a minor league hockey team in Houston whenever I was younger. Um, and so the Aerodrome is down there in Sugarland. And you go ice skating there. There's not a lot of place to ice skate in Texas, so it's kind of a novel thing. So they loaded up and they drove, you know, the 30 minutes or 25 minutes to get to the Aerodrome. And uh, they get, in, get out of the trucks. They're in like two or three vehicles because my family is not small. Um, and so they get out of a couple of vehicles, and uh, there's this realization uh, from my father-in-law, uh, praise God for him, um, that one of the children is missing. Um, and in fact, they had left uh, my quietest child at home. Uh, so Sierra, and this was, you know, it's only like four or five years ago, um, Sierra was in the bathroom during the load-up, get-out-of-the-house time, and uh, she missed she missed the bus. Uh, and when you have multiple cars going, you know, you don't know who, oh, well, they've got, they've got, who, who's got who. No one knows who's anywhere. And uh, all of a sudden, uh, my, my Sierra didn't have a cell phone at this time because we love our children, so we don't give them cell phones at a super young age. Um, and uh, no judgment, by the way, out there for those of you. Um, but uh, she didn't have a cell phone at this time, and she's at a, at a house, uh, and, and my father-in-law like, from the way the story is told to me, I was not there. It's like, he got out of the car, they're all walking in, he looks around, and it's like, we forgot Sierra, and he races back to his truck, hops in the car, peels out to go get her. And uh, Sierra somehow got on an iPad that had iMessage connected, and she was able to text out and say, like, you left me, um, which is true. Um, but the frantic moment of realizing you, you left a child is, is a thing. This is not irregular in our family's life. Uh, one Sunday morning, we were at church, uh, which we do on a regular basis on Sundays. And we left church, and Danielle has a car, and I have a car, and uh, I don't know, we left, was it Julian and Seth? Um, they were next door playing basketball after church, and so they missed the bus, and all of a sudden, we're, we didn't recognize this, by the way. Um, Janet Bond comes pulling up with a couple of my kids. She's like, here's your children, come take them back. Um, you know, there, it, it's not hard to lose something. It's not hard to lose someone. It's not hard to, 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 to just have something missing. But in that moment when you recognize you've lost it, uh, it is a frantic time. I go to youth camps with teenagers, uh, and I'm always counting heads. I know, like, Ernestine, you were a teacher. If you ever did field trips, right, you're always counting heads. You're always making sure, do we have the right number of people that we're supposed to be responsible for? Um, and at youth camp, you get kids, and they just kind of, they just kind of wander off. And it's, you know, acres and acres and acres of land, and, and, and eventually... Like, what you're, you try to stay calm, you try to stay in control, everything's going to be okay, but eventually the stress, the anxiety kicks in, and you start getting frantic. Um, we've probably all been there to some degree, had something that, that we've been frantic for, lost a kid in a mall, lost a kid here, had, a, had something. I've never driven off and left a kid from a, from a youth event, though I've heard many youth pastors share those stories as well. Um, I've, I've had some kids I've wanted to leave. That's, that's true. Um, but never, never, never accidentally left the child anywhere. Um, Jesus talks a little bit about this, this emotion, this feeling of, of losing something um, in the book of Luke. So if you have your Bible, open to Luke chapter 15. And, and what we're going to talk about 
uh, the next three or four weeks is we're going to talk about um, Jesus as a storyteller. Uh, I love telling stories. Um, in fact, one of my games at youth camp, whenever I'm just trying to kill time, because you stand around a lot at youth camp, uh, is I tell students, I say, give me like a, a noun, like a thing, an object, and I will tell you a story about it. Um, and typically the stories are true, recollections from my life. And I categorize stories in my mind, and then they're like on a little Rolodex, right? And I just roll the wheel around to find the tab. They're like monkeys. And I'm like, monkey, 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 monkey. Oh, here's a good story about monkeys. And then I go tell a story about monkeys. Sometimes my story about monkeys is actually about an ape, but students aren't that picky about the difference between monkeys and apes. So we're okay in there. Um, So I love telling stories. My family is a storytelling family. Jesus was a storyteller himself, and a lot of his stories are recorded in Scripture as parables. And a parable um, is, is literally a story told to illustrate a point. It, it means kind of thrown alongside. That's what the word parable really means. It's, it's something that, that runs parallel beside an idea so you get a picture of something else. And so Jesus is telling this parable, and in this chapter 15 of, of Luke, he actually tells three parables about lost things. You have the parable of the lost sheep. You have the parable of the lost coin, and then the parable of the lost son or the prodigal son, um, depending on, on how you know that story. Today we're just going to look at the lost sheep, okay? So just the first seven verses of Luke chapter 15, okay? I hope you're there. I gave you a lot of time, so I believe you're there. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. That's Jesus. Uh, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them a parable. He said, what man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he's lost one of them, doesn't leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he's found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. So Jesus is is sitting there, and as is the case oftentimes in the ministry of Jesus, there are people around him who are not on his side. There's probably something instructive there to know that not all the people who are closest to you are necessarily for you, right? Not everyone who draws near to you is looking out for your interests. And in Jesus' life, there's scribes and Pharisees and Sadducees, uh, in Judas, right? You have these people around him all the time who aren't, aren't on his side. And, they, and they're always trying to press on him, right? To, to, to trip him up, to find a way to, um, to, to get him. And the thing that they were getting at on him this time was who he hung out with. And he hung out with them, which is uh, saying something about his character, right? That he would be willing to hang out with self-righteous people like them. Um, but their issue wasn't that he was hanging out with self-righteous people. Their issue is that he was hanging out with uh, apparently wicked people. And we know apparently wicked people. We, we, we're aware of what these people look like. Their lives are a wreck. Right? The, the, the train wreck of their life is, is so easy, easily apparent. You know, Doc was telling me today he was driving. Doc is not the train wreck, by the way. Uh, Doc was, was driving um, to a doctor appointment in Round Rock. And, you know, the storms that we had blew through, uh, somewhere between Taylor and Round Rock, a tornado kind of, kind of went right through there. And he said the devastation is, is just, he was like, I was, I was looking for it because I knew it came through. And then when he got to it, he's like, I, I didn't have to look for it. Like, it was there. You know, trees are snapped and twisted and everything's all gnarly. He's like, it was readily apparent. We know these people's lives because we don't have to examine it closely 
to be like, hey, is, are you a mess? Is your life a mess? The people, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes were upset about Jesus hanging out with, they were people whose lives were characterized by just absolute carnage behind them. Like, it was just clear, like, oh, that person is a mess. And so it didn't make sense that this teacher, this righteous, holy man, would hang out with these people. And so they were, they were revile at Jesus. They had issues with him. Why would he eat with these sinners? Why would he socialize with these sinners, receiving them and eating with them? And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, which I love about Jesus, goes and says, well, let's, let's, let's tell a little story today. Gather around, children. We're going to have a story. Stories are powerful. I think about how powerful a story can be to, to elicit a point. You remember King David, after he had his affair with Bathsheba, uh, he, you know, he had gone through the affair process, and then she got pregnant, and then he's like, oh no, my sin's going to be found out. Like, when you get a woman pregnant, like, you can't hide that. Like, the baby's there, it's coming. Taylor, radiant, glowing, great, you're handling it like a champ, but like, you don't hide the pregnancy, right? At some point, there's something there, and her husband, not, not her husband, uh, Bathsheba's husband had been away. So it didn't make sense that Bathsheba should be pregnant. So something, someone got involved in that process. And so the sin was going to be found out. And so David, you know, hashed up all sorts of plans to try to get her husband to come home and sleep with her. So maybe he'd be like, that ain't my kid, that's your kid. Uh, and he wouldn't do that. Uh, obviously, he, he didn't know that was the plan, but he was honorable. He had, he had a mission in his mind, and it wasn't to go home and enjoy his life. It was to go back to battle for David in his fighting. And uh, David eventually throws his hands up and just gets him killed. Uh, he sends him with a note to the general, which is pretty awful to do. And like the, you know, Uriah the Hittite walks up with a note, gives it to Joab. Joab reads the note. It's like, hey, kill this guy. Put him up front. Let him die. And Joab looks at him like, you didn't read this, did you? And he's like, no. He's like, all right, great. So, so eventually, you know, he puts him up front in the battle, and he, he falls in battle um, fighting for David. Now, after all this is done, David takes Bathsheba, marries her, or whatever, tries to baptize his sin. And after that's done, there's a man named Nathan, a prophet who shows up to, to David. And he just tells a story. Uh, I love the VeggieTales version of this, by the way. You can watch it in King George and the Ducky. Okay, that's the, the story uh, is told there uh, in musical form. You can probably find it on YouTube. Um, but the story goes like this. Uh, it really is not connected directly to the story, except there's power there. Uh, in fact, I, won't, I was going to sing you a song, but I'm not going to do it. Uh, go look it up on YouTube on your own time. Doc says, don't sing. Uh, so, so uh, but... But he tells the story of a, of a man who, you know, took something of value, even though he has all this other stuff at his disposal from someone who had nothing. He says, what should happen to this man in this story? And David says, he should be killed. He should be executed. I can't believe someone would do that in my kingdom. And then Nathan says, hey, this man is you. Like, you are that man. And David's like, the, the scales fall off his eyes. He's like, oh, my goodness. See, parables are powerful to do that. And so Jesus has these people who are opposed to him, and he tells them a story. And the purpose of the story is so they can see something, right? And, and there's some, some hiddenness in parables, too. But in this case, it's to, to help them see you know, who they are. And he says, there's a 99, there's 100 sheep this man's got. And then one goes away. Which of you wouldn't go and find it? And the answer is, you would all go and find it. Right? Because you've got 99 pinned up. You leave them behind. They're relatively safe and secure in the pen. And then you go find the one that, that you've lost, right? If you've got 10 kids, I'm working towards it, um, but if you've got 10 kids and you've got one who's lost, you don't say, well, we tried. 90% is not bad, 
right? Ninety cents an A in my school that I grew up in, so that's not bad. Still getting the 4.0 on parenting. Right now you go and you find that kid. In this case, there's 99 that are still there. But even though there's just one that's gone, right, you're going to go and seek that one because it's valuable to you. And, and, he, and he throws this story out and saying, even you wicked people would do this. How much more would God care for these people? But he draws the image of a shepherd. Right? And the picture of a shepherd is all throughout the Old Testament because like, it's, it's a common job. It's not common for us. Like, there's, I guess people keep sheep in Mountain County. It's not, a, it's not a common job for us today. But it was common for them. You know, David was a shepherd. Moses did shepherding for his father-in-law, Jethro. Amos was a shepherd. Right? Throughout the whole Bible, we have shepherd after shepherd after shepherd after shepherd. And so Jesus tells this shepherd-based parable. I mean, the first people who heard the testimony of Jesus' arrival were shepherds in the field. Um, and so everyone knew, this, knew what a shepherd was like. If they weren't a shepherd, they understood um, the job well enough. Uh, and, and, and the character of a shepherd, first of all, is that they care. Right? A shepherd cares for its sheep. Right? And so when one is gone, uh, he tends to the 99, gets them safe, and he cares for that. He, it bothers him. He has an emotional attachment to that sheep. You know, the, the, the Bible says later on when using more sheep-shepherd uh, motifs, you know, that, 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 that Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd and, the, and, the, and my sheep know my voice. Right? The shepherd had a relationship with his sheep. When he would call them, his sheep would come to him. You would have a field mixed with a bunch of different shepherds. And he'd just be like, yep. And they'd be like, that's my guy. And they'd go over there. Right? When I'm at small group on Sunday nights, uh, we have like a million kids in our small group. Um, and more on the way. Good job. Um, and, uh, and, and it can be chaotic. And you'll hear stuff in the gym. And it's like one kid just wails. And then, like, as a parent, you're like, not mine, right? That's not my kid, right? And if it is your kid, you're like, oh, that's my kid, I gotta go, right? You know your kid's voice, that you have a connection, right? Because you care for them, you have a special connection. The shepherd cares for the sheep, right? right? And the shepherd cares greatly for his sheep. You read Psalm 23, the, 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 you know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. What does he do? He makes me lie down uh, by, by still waters. He leads me, or he leads me. In green pastures, leaving by side still waters, he restores my soul. Right? The idea is that, that he cares for the sheep. He provides for the sheep. He, he, he loves the sheep. He, he has a connection to the sheep that, that, that's real. It's not just that these are monetarily valuable to me. It's that he actually cares for the well-being of the sheep. Right? Jesus himself calls himself the good shepherd. Right? One of the things that makes Jesus the good shepherd is that he cares for all of us. Even though we're wayward sometimes. Like, we are that lost sheep. We're, we're the one wandering out in the woods somewhere. And Jesus says, I care about you. You're, you're thrown out there in the midst of nothingness. You left the herd. Why did you leave the herd? Like, how dumb are you? We're 99 of us are all hanging out together. And you're like, I'm going to go for a walk over here. Why did you get lost? Why did you choose to go away where everybody still cares for you? Because a good shepherd cares for the sheep. But he doesn't just care about the sheep. He seeks the sheep that are lost. Right, and I love this part of the story, right? Right, right, right. The shepherd looks around, counts up, 99, count again, 99, count again. Well, that's 99, right? Three, three times, still came up with 99, I'm missing a sheep. And so what does he do? He leaves. He says, i got to go find it. He's not saying he didn't just abandon the sheep to go scatter, but I'm sure they were pinned up and safe and whatever. But he said, i got to go. I've got to go seek the sheep. And so he goes over hill and over. And when I tell this story, um, I... Uh, uh, in my last church, we did a local mission trip. Um, and part of that was 
uh, backyard Bible clubs that our students led. And so our students would uh, share the gospel with kids. We'd have kids in, in homes. It was a pretty fun little thing. Um, we used some curriculum by Child Evangelism Fellowship. If anyone's familiar with Child Evangelism Fellowship, it's a good organization. Um, so we used some curriculum by Child Evangelism, Evangelism Fellowship. One of the stories was this story. And, and when I, and you tell this story, you're supposed to tell it kind of dramatically to, to keep the kids engaged, right? Uh, but, you know, like it, it has a picture of a, of a shepherd. And, it, you know, the skies are dark and cloudy. And, and he's just going over hill here and over there and crags and looking for his sheep. And he's calling the sheep the whole way. Right, and so the way I, I, I tell the story is, I was like, he's just walking out there, and he's like, Sheep! right? That's a good voice, by the way. That's going to sound good on the on the recording, by the way, right? Sheep! Right, right. And so he's just calling the sheep. I see that on a Sunday when some of y'all try to fall asleep on me, right? I just yell sheep randomly. Where right? he's calling the sheep, 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 and eventually the faintest sound will be heard in the distance, and it will be his sheep. And then he goes directly to his sheep, and he gathers the sheep, puts it on his shoulders, carries it home because he found the thing. That he was seeking. Right? The Bible tells us in the book of Isaiah, right? Isaiah 53, 6, I think, right? Like, uh, all we like sheep have gone astray. Right? All of us. Right? We've chosen waywardness. We've chosen sin. We've chosen um, our own path. And typically, our path is stupid. Like, <laughs> I try to instruct this to my teenagers, but like, everything that your heart desires just naturally is almost always wrong. Like, it's just naturally wrong. What your eyes tell you is what you're supposed to want. It's almost always wrong. The Bible tells us that over and over again. Right? I mean, the very first thing in the Bible is, is God seeing things. God sees the light, it's good. God sees the ground, it's good. God sees the sky, it's good. Right? That's what he says. I see and I say it is good. I see and I say it is good. I see uh, the animals, it's good. I see the fish, it's good. I see mankind, it is very good. That's what he says there. That's kind of neat there. Uh, Genesis, like, 127, 2029. But, but mankind is very good. The first time that, that a person sees in the Bible recorded in Scripture is Eve. Is she walking in the garden, talking snake? Right? She sees it's good to her. Our eyes are bad. Our hearts are bad, right? Our hearts are deceptive. Exceedingly wicked. Right, right? We've all, like sheep, have gone astray. We've taken our own path. And, and, and most of the carnage in our lives, most of the messes in our lives are, are truly of our own doing. Or of someone else's just wicked choices done to you. Right? That can happen to you. If you're in relationships, other people's sins affect you directly as well. Right? But we choose a path that takes us away, but God seeks us there. You know, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What a treasured verse that is, right? That while you were lost in your sin, while you were an enemy of God, while you were a God-hating atheist, he said, I will seek you. And I'm seeking your good. I care for you, even though you don't care for me. Right? Even though, though you've wandered away, even though you've renounced your faith. Right? I, I grew up with people in the church right, who've wandered away from the faith. Right? They know the same stories that I knew my whole life. They, they, they've heard the gospel, yet they've chosen to walk away. I think about this sometimes, right, 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 right. They're, they've chosen this path, but God's still seeking their salvation. Even though they've abandoned it. Even, and some of these people, like, when it comes to salvation, I believe once saved, always saved. But I also believe, like, you can, you can tell a tree by its fruit. And so just because someone got in a baptistry at 10, 7, 16 years old, 22 years old, doesn't mean they're saved. 
I mean, I try not to baptize anyone that I don't have some assurance that it's a good baptism. But, like, I don't, I don't put faith in that. I really trust the fruit. Right? So if the fruit of the tree shows no salvation, I assume you're lost. Now, maybe you are saved. God, thank you for that. Like, God is good. He can do things that are, that are amazingly powerful and gracious. But I'm going to assume you're lost. So when I have friends who grew up in the faith, were baptized with me, but are now living as pagans, I assume they're lost. I assume that they don't know Jesus. But God is still seeking them. He's still seeking their salvation. He's still seeking their good. Uh, you know, there's 99 who are, who are here and, and in good shape. And he could, he could celebrate that fact. He says there's one that's lost and not willing that any should perish. Right? Right? Christ saves. Right? He doesn't want any to perish. What, the question that was asked in that is like, well, why hasn't he come back yet? Right? Paul, when writing the New Testament, was ready for the imminent return of Jesus. Like, he's coming soon. And that was 2,000 years ago, roughly. Right? But he was like, they're coming soon. And John, when he was writing the, the book of Revelation, you know, there's this imminent, this is coming now. Right? Over and over again, you have this picture of, of this, is, this, this, there's this appearance that's going to happen any moment now. And it, and it led some people, even back in Paul's day, to say, well, why hasn't Jesus come back yet? And that was like 30 years later after he ascended. Why hasn't he come back yet? Here we are 2,000 years later asking the same question. And the answer that Paul gave is that, is that his, his grace is, is trying to reach those who are lost. Right? right? Not willing that any should perish. Right? He's, 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 he's willing to give a, a length of time to try to call sinners to salvation. God's got a good... He's a good shepherd. He lays down his life for you, and his love is boundless. He doesn't know boundaries. It's not like, I love you up to this point. The shepherd, when he's out wandering out in the woods, isn't like, sheep, sheep, sheep. And see, I was nicer there. Sheep, 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 sheep. And he's like, oh, this is as far as I go. I wish you had come closer. Sheep. Yelling at the, yelling at the border. There's no borders in, God, in God's desires to reach you. Uh, that works nationally as well for us as well. Sometimes we struggle with nationalism, but like, there's no borders in God's kingdom. Like, we have borders here because we have to have some, something to demarcate countries and lines and stuff like that. But God's kingdom doesn't have borders and boundaries between it. Right? And so Christ just pursues just, just absolutely with no abandon every lost sheep. Right? And if that's true... Right, and the story Jesus told, by the way, wasn't that God was seeking, but like at least like just a regular dude would seek. Like if a regular person would go to those lengths, how much more would your God go to those lengths? Right, the God who who knows the the lilies of the field and clothes them, and knows every every sparrow on earth. The God who knows the number of hair on your head. For some of you, don't have to count that high, right? But but He knows every hair on your head. That God who knows all of those things. Right, right. If he loves you that much to know that about you, like how much more is he willing to seek? If a, if a, if a lost person is going to seek for a sheep till he finds it, God is going to continue seeking. There's a hope here. Because some of us feel hopeless with some of the people in our lives. Like if we're honest, there's people in our lives that are lost and, and they are just absolutely in reckless like a hatred for God. Right? You talk to them, and usually, I think of family situations in this case, because like, if they're not family, you're like, well, I can just wash my hands. But their family, you have to see them at Thanksgiving. You have to see them at family reunions. And they're these lost people, and they have no love for God. They have no desire for God. They've turned their back on God. 
And in your mind, at some point, we get to this point where we say, like, I guess that's just how it is. I guess this person's just lost. Never, never again to be found. The truth is, though, like in that, this moment right here, if that person's still drawing breath, God is seeking them now. Right? And so what is our responsibility in that? Right? It's, it's, it's just to try to sow some seeds sometimes that maybe will land on fruitful ground because God is looking for those who would be saved. He's going off into the, the highways and the byways and the outer roads seeking anyone who would be saved. And you may think that your, your, your sibling or your child, your grandchild, or your friend from school is too far gone. Their life is too bad. They make too many sinful choices, and, and they're turned off to God. Like, I, I think of this. I have a brother who just really is, is, is opposed to God. And he's cordial to me. He's my brother. I love him. Um, but he's just opposed to God. Like, if we have a baptism, like, like he's not coming. Like, he's not going to be here to support his nieces and nephews getting baptized. And it, it's not that he's a bad guy. I mean, he is a bad guy. We're all bad. Um, it's that he, inside of him, there's this resentment, and this anger, and this unresolved, God didn't do this, and, and, and whatever it is, you know, whatever his story is, the brokenness that led him to this point. But I know God's still seeking him. Right? And he has some baptism experience, so maybe, like, maybe, maybe he's saved, but, like, he lives like a lost person. God's seeking him. And even if it's just to call him home like a prodigal, right, but maybe it's for his salvation. Guys, I want you to know there's no lost causes in your life, so let's not write those people off. Let's not write them off. Pray for them. Make your list. I encourage you. I've encouraged you all many times. Uh, like Keep a list of lost people you pray for. Ten people. And just pray for those ten people. And when one gets saved, check them off. Or if one dies, cross them off. Right? <laughs> right? Like Keep your list and pray for them. You, you, you should be praying on a regular basis. So just put that part of your prayers. Like, here, Lord, I pray for salvation. For boom, 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 boom. Move in their lives. If I can be a part of that, God, let me be a part of it. Otherwise... Like, the church is big. There's people out there sharing the gospel. It's not just on you. Right? But God can do big things. He's seeking those who are lost. Because he loves them. He cares for them. And I'm thankful for that because he sought me. And I, guys, I was lost. And I wasn't looking to be found. And yet he rescued me from dangerous places. Right? Set my feet on a solid rock. Right? I'm mixing all sorts of metaphors here, guys. The beautiful thing though, that God cares for us and seeks us. So if you have a if you have a friend, family, lost person in your world, guys, just stay faithful and pray for them. If you have an opportunity to share, share. But like if you don't, just pray. Like God is good in seeking those. And some of us like just need to understand that that's the same God who we serve. Like He's that God. He loves you enough to leave everyone else to find you. And if he did that for you when you were saved 40 years ago, he, he still loves you to that degree today. You're precious to him. You matter to him. You may not matter to anyone else, but you matter to him. You matter to me, by the way. Everyone here today matters to me. Um, some more than others. Um, I got Julian here, but he's like high five, top, top shelf there. Um, right. But he loves you. And I, I don't know if you need that today, but I need it. Because some days I just, I just need to know God's for me. 
and he is. He's for you. And, as some song out there, what song is that? God's for us, who can be against us? Ah, whatever. We'll get it later. <laughs> but guys, uh, now, now my mind is just playing that. I think it's Wickham. I think it's uh, Battle Belongs, by the way, um, if you're looking for that later. Um, but I thank you for being here today. I pray you're blessed by this. Let's pray for those who are lost. Let's celebrate the fact that God found us. And let's not be bitter that he leaves us sometimes to find those who are not desirable. And, additionally, for free, guys, like the, the person that you have major issues with in your life, who you're secretly looking forward to them dying and going to hell, not that we would ever say that. But we're secretly kind of like, judgment, one day. One day of judgment. Like maybe they hurt you, maybe they hurt someone you love. One day of judgment. God, one day judgment. Right? God, God very well may just save that person. And you're going to spend eternity with them. And you'll be able to praise God for that too. Like, that we can praise God for even those people who we have major issues with coming to find salvation. Because, but for God, we would be those people ourselves. Let me pray.